The Creative Exchange podcast is all about celebrating the artistic process on Cape Cod and connecting creatives. That's right, Julie. And as part of that, we'd like to invite you to a Creative Exchange live event here at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. On May 30th, 2019 at 5.30, Amy and I are bringing back some of this season's guests for a live panel discussion. Come connect with other listeners, meet podcast guests, and celebrate the arts community. Mark your calendars and visit artsfoundation.org slash creative exchange for details and updates. See you there. See you there. This podcast has been underwritten by Cape Cod Healthcare because investing in the arts creates a healthier community. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast, a series of elevated conversations with Cape Cod creatives. This project is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and Provincetown Community Television, recorded at the Night Owl Recording Studio at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. It is an ode to the artistic process and its unique manifestation here on Cape Cod, seeking to reveal the successes, challenges, and experiences of local artists. Above all, it is a reminder that arts matter in our community. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Continuing our exploration of the process on this episode, we're speaking with Provincetown Film Society, Executive Director, Film Producer, and arts and social justice activist, Christine Canuva Walker, about the process of building an audience. Christine Canuva Walker is the CEO and executive director of the Provincetown Film Society and founder and former president of Work, Work, Works, a feature film production and finance company based in Minneapolis. An award-winning producer, Walker's recognitions include the Gender and Equity in Entertainment Industry Award from Stanford University, Producers Guild of America Diversity and Excellence Award, and dozens of awards for her feature films. As a film producer, Walker's credits include Howl, directed by Academy Award-winning directors Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman, the Todd Solons-directed Life During Wartime, and the Torin Horse by Hungarian auteur Bella Tarr. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here with us today. Welcome. Um, so before we get started, uh, Amy... What do you um, what do you want to learn today through this conversation? Well, what I'd like to learn is how do you change an industry like the film industry to become more inclusive and reflect all members of society? What do you want to learn, Julie? <laughs> well, that's an easy topic it to is. solve I thought I, <laughs> in the next we'll, 30 minutes. <laughs> we'll start with a <laughs> tiny little question. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I uh, find fascinating is the film festival circuit. How do you break in? How do you, you know, you have an idea and then, you know, you connect with the, all these festivals that are going on and we see more and more growing, um, not just locally, but throughout the country. So it's really exciting to have Christine here to be able to, um, to uh, talk to us about that. So welcome. Thank you so much. Okay, those are really hard questions. Well, actually, <laughs> Amy's yours is really hard. Um, let me start out by saying how we don't change an industry. Mm. What I learned as a feature film producer who was out, you know, 
has, I've been working for 20 years. I set up a company, raised all this money, millions, probably about $60 million to make feature films. And after 20 years in the business, I started looking around and realized that there were more, no more female directors in Hollywood than when I started. So how you don't change an industry <laughs> is one film at a time. And you can't change an industry one person at a time, right? Or, or with just through your own individual efforts. I'd like to say that's true. And um, I think we grow up thinking that we can have that kind of impact, but it's not true. You change an, an industry by collectively uh, gathering together and first of all, recognizing that there's a problem and then getting that problem out into the public consciousness and coming up with meaningful strategies both within and outside of the industry and then working very hard to execute and implement. That's how you change and you try to get everyone on board and it's hard in this vast world that we live in and in an industry that is um, primarily, and we're talking about the Hollywood film industry, that is about, um, first and foremost, a business. Mm -hmm. And it's about commerce and making money. And that's important because you can't survive without, um, uh, without making money. But it's also an industry that's really about maintaining its power not just but in the country, but in the world. And so you're fighting that, um, and you're fighting sort of attitudes about what it takes to be powerful and what it takes to stay on top. And so I think that the first step, and this is what we did at the Film Society, is we said, well, you know, we don't know uh, how, to, how to make change. We know there's a problem. We know that, um, well, right now, less than, you know, 7% of the people who are directing, um, producing, editing, shooting, greenlighting films, 7% of the people are women, and the rest are not. <laughs> wow. And so, and, you know, when, I, when we started thinking about this topic, only 1.9% of the people who were directing films were women. That was a few years ago. So that's just like, oh my gosh, there's a problem. So we know that, right? We know there's a problem. And the symptom of the problem is one that's um, become uh, a big, huge issue that everyone's aware of, and that is sexual harassment and, and um, in, the, in, in the industry. That's just a symptom, but it's a symptom of gender inequity. So we just decided we know there's a problem. We have to get together. We have to bring people who are smart, and, and we have to get people talking about the issue. And that's the most important part of it. And we have to include not just women and people who, um, we, who are directly affected, like female directors, but actors, um, and also the audience, because... Um, we audience members are being deprived of a um, of our story of a story that is 
that represents the broad swath of of experience that all of us um, see every day. We're being deprived of stories of our mothers, of our immigrant parents, of our Muslim neighbors, and that is affecting everyone. So we have everyone has to be part of that that pro, uh, part of the solution. So that's the first step, you know, getting everyone to recognize the problem and then to recognize why they have something at stake here and they have something to lose if the problem isn't solved. Mm. Now, how do you use the um, the mission of the Provincetown Film Society to really <laughs> achieve this goal? Because, I mean, this is ambitious and, um, and daunting. Yeah. Well, actually, when the Film Society started, um, it really started as an economic driver for um, a, a, a town that's mostly seasonal. A uh, number of the businesses got together and they said, okay, it's June. How do we get more people to come to town in June during the shoulder season? Um, and then they said, well, we should have a film festival. That was 21 years ago. And 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 we should have a film festival because it could also enhance the cultural vitality of the town. So it really started out in that way. And then... Um, Started the film festival. It's been going on for twenty. This is our twenty-first year, and um, it became the festival became a showcase uh, for the finest in American independent films, um, and also a way to promote uh, directors and and producers and acting talent. And once you start, once that is your mission. And you start really, what you know, it naturally happens where you start delving into the challenges and the obstacles that many of these people face in making their movies. And so that's kind of, you know, that's really what led us and what got us to this point, um, I believe. Uh, and that is that, you know, when I started five years ago, we said, what... You know, we're here, we're, we have a really lovely festival, we're meeting all these people, we're learning a lot about the industry, what more can we do? And we started and we rec- saw that there was this problem of gender inequity and a lo- some was being written about it mostly on the university level and we decided let's start a women's residency program. And it was from that program, working with individual filmmakers and talking to them about the challenges they face. Things from daycare mm. to, um, you know, to, to sort of life issues that stand in the way, having children and so forth, um, to sort of bigger questions about having lack of access to opportunities because you're not part of the male's, you know, a boy's club, whatever. And so once you start <laughs> getting into that, we realized, okay, we can help individual filmmakers and get daycare and, you know, get a babysitting fund. But there are some larger um, fundamental issues that we need to address. And that's how we got to the Women's Media Summit. And in the last four or five years, this will be my sixth festival coming up, I think what we've really tried to do is address... Um, and we say this now, 
address supporting the diver the making a space for the diverse voice not just women but other people who have challenges and getting their stories out there um, and address that from th- from age from age three we have you know a, a HBO kids camp to 103 and so and and it involves lots of different kinds of activities residency programs it involves um, showcasing work it involves engaging um, introducing uh, filmmakers and emerging artists to the business aspects, to financing, and then to showcasing their work, and um, and then uh, and and then everything in between, <laughs> everything in between, and and uh, you know it's just like the more we do, the more opportunity there is out there, and the more support we get. So, you know, my problem, I'm a producer, so I like to get things done and I like to make things happen. And, um, but at some point you have to, you know, have, make sure you have capacity and have the funds and resources to do all those things. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. So is, how important is it when there's uh, a film that comes out that has a, a female director or a person that maybe hasn't had as much opportunity, how important is it for us to go out and buy a ticket and yeah. see that film? It's, it's, it's really important. I mean, although I have to say, I remember having a conversation with someone and, and I cannot believe, and this is an enlightened individual, and he said, well, if women only made films that sold <gasps> or that did well in the marketplace, I mean, there wouldn't be a problem. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> you know, there are tons and tons of examples of women directors who have made films, uh, and and we just keep on having to re- prove ourselves over and over and over again. I remember I was working on a film with Viola Davis, and she had just done The Help, and it was one of the most successful, I mean, essentially small independent films out in the world. And she said, I've made all these films with these great, you know, the biggest name directors and have never been a lead in a film. Academy Award winning director. And it took Shonda Rhimes to say, we're going to give you a series. We're going to let you be sexy and scary and brilliant and all these things to get other people to stand up and go, oh my gosh, she can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah. Buy those tickets. Buy those tickets. (laughs) Buy those tickets, but talk about the work. Mm -hmm. It also, I think it's also important that we're, you know, writing about the work, that we're acknowledging these successes because Mm -hmm. there, there are many successes that we can look at and we just can't, we have to, we have to challenge the thinking that that's a fluke Mm -hmm. because it is. There's, you know, um, there's so there's so much work and also in television you look at women dominate television and that's very exciting mm-hmm. but television is not feature film filmmaking and i'm not saying that one is better than the other but what we're at the film society really addressing is um feature feature filmmaking um and and not necessarily television at this 
at this juncture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find myself um, when I'm going to see a film now, I'm I want to know who produced it. Yeah. I want to know who the directors right. are or the director is, and um, I'm way more engaged with the process than I than I used to be. Yeah. I don't just like take it and go oh that was a good film i there i i really think it's interesting how we're all talking about you know how it was made who it was made by where it was made um those types of topics seem to come up more around going to hear a good story it's it's like deeper than that now right right you know and if you care about who and who's making it, we know that if a woman is making the movie, there are more women who are getting opportunities behind the scene. There are more people in the electric department who are women and editors and so forth. That is the truth. So when you're watching a film directed by a woman, chances are you're creating lots. She is creating a lot more opportunities for other women. It's just a fact that that's what happens. Um, there are many men who create a lot of opportunities for women as well, but that's not a given that behind the scenes that's what you're going to see. I When we started my company, Work, Work, Works, in Minneapolis, and I, it, it didn't occur to me at the time, we got a lot of press. You know, the New York Times met, met with us and Variety. We were always meeting, getting calls to be interviewed by the press because we were too, we were a female-led company. And funnily enough, at the time, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. I met uh, my partner um, at our children's school. We had kids the same age. And we had, you know, we we recognized that we had a love of film and I had been doing a lot of things in film and she wanted to get more involved and that's what happened. <laughs> happened. And then who knew that we were one of the, probably the only female-led company out there who could greenlight films. Wow. And that wow. was pretty extraordinary. Give me a little background of what greenlighting is. Green lighting is is when you come to me and you say, I've written a script and I want to direct this film and I want to make it. And I can say, okay, let's do it. Here's the money. We're going to go out and cast this movie. We're going to put the team together and we're going to make it happen. So this really <laughs> kind of parlays nicely into... How do you get on the festival circuit? Like, what is, what is that process? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the festival circuit, I mean, it, you know, it, uh, there are different kinds of festivals. There are the festivals that they call the top tier. And top tier means films premiere there. And they're usually a market. Sundance is the only film in that top or festival in that top tier that it is a, isn't a market. At a market, you can bring a film that has not been sold to a distributor and you can show it. You can actually screen it in some little trailer somewhere and it can get picked up by distribution. So market is really how what you think a market is. You're selling your film. Um, and actually... Uh, so so, so those, that's the big... That's the top tier... Um, and, and if you've made a film and you don't have a distributor, um, you want to get into one of those festivals because every single dis distributor in the world, even at Sundance, are going to be there. 
and they're going to watch their film, and you're hoping that there's going to be a bidding, bidding war. It's generally not the case. But because you did premiere at the film, I mean, in my experience, or at that film festival and those big, in my experience, you generally sell your film. Um, it might not be at the festival, but one or two or three months later. So um, for a filmmaker who has a film that's completed, it's it's tantamount, and, and you don't have a distributor already attached, it's tantamount in being at a festival. But there are other opportunities um, for filmmakers that festivals provide. Um, you know, when I started out, I had studied film. Um, I thought I was going to go into uh, education, teach film courses, um, history and criticism. And then I just decided to take a break. And um, I started working at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis in their film video department and was so passionate about independent films that a lot of the filmmakers who would come through would say, are you interested in producing? We need someone like you who can be a um, um, supporter of our film. You know film. Uh, and so I started thinking about producing. And a friend of mine told me, "Go to okay, if you want to do this, go to Sundance, watch all the short films, choose a few you like, find the director, introduce yourself and say, I love your film. I'm interested in producing. Are you interested in working with me? And I, that's exactly what I did. I met a director. Her name was Shirley Chichu, native Indian director. I'd made this lovely short film. And um, I think two years later, we were premiering our film at Sundance. So um, you can go and you can learn a lot about the industry at film festivals. You can meet other filmmakers. For us, we're, we just started a mentorship program for students, so you can apply for programs like that at a lot of the festivals and um, participate um, on in the nuts and bolts um, side of uh, film festivals and um, network and meet people. One of the great things about my experience at the um, Provincetown Film Festival was that it's such a beautiful place to hang out and have martinis and oysters <laughs> that I, um, I, I, you know, I would come to the festival and I just was more relaxed and everybody was so cool and, and, um, and inviting that I ended up meeting a lot of future collaborators just in this kind of wonderful space that was all about celebrating me as a filmmaker celebrating film and um, also about just celebrating artists. So in that environment, um, it was a place that kind of lent itself to, to collaboration and friendship. So there are a lot of ways that um, people can use festivals to, 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 to meet people, but also to learn about filmmaking. I mean, that festivals are curated experiences. We're looking at hundreds and hundreds of films a year. And so, you know, you you may not be watching all of the top work that's coming out because we couldn't begin to program all of that. But you're getting a really good sense of what is out there in the world and what people are thinking about. 
And so even if you're not interested in as a filmmaker, but if you're interested in sort of like world concerns and you're interested in art, um, you know, some of the greatest artists are making films, you know, visual artists, painters, uh, musicians are all dabbling somehow or participating in some way in film. And so there's a lot um, that festivals provide provide filmmakers, people in the industry, and also just the the audience goer. I recommend it <laughs> because I run a festival. <laughs> <laughs> when does that festival happen, by the way? <laughs> Our festival happens June 12th through the 16th, and um, and it requires that you come to Provincetown, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, and but we do a lot of um, programs year round. We during Women's Week in October, we have a women's film festival. We have a Jamaican film festival coming up in May. Um, we're very excited about that. That's a new program for us. And so we do, you know, small little, we call them film festivals because everything is a festival for us. Um, <laughs> well, if you have more than one film, it's a festival, Yeah, right? it's a festival. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, and, and now in this day and age where there's so much content, I mean, you can go... And, I mean, sometimes I'll go on Netflix and it takes me two hours to choose what I want to watch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas festivals are curated experiences. And that's kind of nice, you know, to, to know that other people were sort of making these selections. And then also it's an opportunity to engage with other people and talk about this work with other people as well. And, and your festival uh, really is very open for just kind of talking to people and walking up to them and saying, I enjoyed your film. And because yeah. Provincetown is so casual. Um, so I think sometimes people, I see people, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm holding back a little bit. But um, anyone I've ever talked to has been very open and excited yeah. to talk about their film, mm -hmm. you know, in their process. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, we have, we've had some, we always give out uh, awards um, and um, have honorees, and we've honored people from Quentin Tarantino and Tilda, Tilda Swinton and Ang Lee and Molly mm. Shannon, some big names mm. over the years, and it's so funny because, you know, they'll call and go, okay, so, um, you know, what, what do you have makeup artists? And <laughs> we're just like, um, if you get, get a chance to comb your hair, that's going to be perfect. <laughs> we'll provide the chapstick. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I think what really helps set the tone is our sort of MC resident filmmaker is John Waters. Right. And um, I've been to other festivals where they have the VIP section where people are standing under, you know, this beautiful awning while everyone else is standing in the rain waiting to get inside. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we don't have, you know, those awnings. Um, and But John Waters, <laughs> I'll say to him, do you want to come in? Or And he said, nope, I'm in line. I have my pass here and I'm waiting with everyone else. So we're lucky in that we have, um, you know, the the icon, the people that a lot of these honorees come the come to to see and be interviewed by John, mm -hmm. you know, by John Waters, when they see him and his attitude and 
then it just changes everything. So then people are really, you know, more relaxed and they... That's so uh, cool. You know, you can go... On. That is so I'm cool. not saying that with everybody, but... Yeah. Our exp- but I mean, he sets the tone. Yeah, he sets the tone. With and credibility. Then, yeah. Yeah. And some of the people, Darren Aronofsky stayed, Sean Baker, they stayed an extra night, Molly Shannon, and they went to um, Showgirls at the oh, A House. Oh, my gosh. Molly Shannon brought her daughter, <laughs> like 15-year-old <laughs> yeah. daughter. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, don't tell anyone. Um, but, you know, they they just... It's they really have a great time, mm. and we and we always get these really lovely letters from people saying that they felt like they they were going, you know, they were ha- there was this warm embrace, mm. and one of the you know Ang Lee, for instance, um, had just finished making a very difficult, challenging film to make, just technically, and um, I, he had. His his editing had been delayed, and he was in China, and so he had to take a flight from Shanghai to New York, get in a car, and drive for five and a half hours to Provincetown. And he got there, and I, I said, well, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I mean, why didn't you just – I mean, I would have – we would have had a heart attack if he had canceled, but I said, why, why didn't you feel inclined to call up and say, I can't do it. I'm working so hard. And he said, no, I had – I'm tired and I have to rejuvenate. I had to be in a place that felt like I was with artists. And it was mm. so cool. And that's how many people feel. So mm. that's that's what's special about our festival. And it's why I'm, you know, I'm here uh, running it. I, You know, mm-hmm. I was a filmmaker at the festival and now I'm running it. But it's because I want to keep that, that vibe and I want to keep festivals like ours um relevant and sustainable and i want a festival like ours to be weighing in on larger conversations about Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion so Mm -hmm. and you not only is june the time to come see films Mm -hmm. you run the water's edge cinema yeah (laughs) year-round and so there's an opportunity for people to to see independent film year-round so how do you do that in a seasonal Uh, environment (laughs) well that's a good question because when I started I looked at all the financials and you know I was in love with the festival and then I'm like what is this why are we running this we're not making any money four people live here in the winter uh, more than four people live there. Uh, nine. But, and nine. <laughs> nine, exactly. Um, and it just seemed like the most ridiculous business decision anyone, this board could have ever made. But again, if you are, um, if you believe in the idea of getting this work out there, five days is not enough. And that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that um, independent film has been in Provincetown for a hundred years. In fact, we are going to be celebrating the hundred year anniversary of the um, Provincetown Theater, which was a cinema um, that was built in 1919, celebrating it at th- this year, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at that and the hundred years of 
Cinnabon being in town, I was like, well, I can't be the one to sort of like, <laughs> you know, shut down the cinema. <laughs> History is going to, you know, I'll be damned or something. Um, yeah, you don't want to be known. No, no. <laughs> as, as the, the one who. director that took down yeah, the cinema. Yeah, took down cinema after 100 <laughs> years in Provincetown. Um, but then how we do it is. You know, the truth is, is it's about building up other year-round programs, um, and it's about really um, taking advantage of the summer seasons. Someone said to me, well, you need to put up more posters in March. And I'm like, no one's there to see the posters. I cannot, you know, it's like trying to bleed stones or something, but any, but, but we so we really increased our summer programming and our fall programming and so forth and that's what helps us keep the cinema alive and we get you know we have an audience we've we built a marquee so people know the cinema is there and our attendance has gone up uh you know 40% since that the marquee that's amazing. alone yeah it's, wow. it's beautiful too it's beautiful. yeah and i think you know, just building awareness. I mean, a lot of people didn't know that the theater was being run by a nonprofit organization. And um, also making people aware that that in Provincetown, at the time, this was a few years ago, and there's more entertainment options now, which makes it even better. But at the time, it was the only form of entertainment for many of the elderly people in town mm. who don't drive, and so, actually, when we closed it down for a few months to figure out what we were going to do, a bunch of people showed up at a community forum that we had had, and all of them were elderly. And they said, please don't take this away. And I said, we have to take it away for three months so we can sort of figure out how to make this sustainable. And that was the only time, and since then, we've um, been open year-round. So it's important. And... You know, across the board, these art house cinemas have to be in these towns. We know that socially and economically, towns, cities are better off um, when you have an art house cinema. So, you know, we're we're I think we're doing something that's important for Provincetown and for the Lower Cape and all these other. I mean, you know, and I commend all of the theater, art house theater owners who are slogging away mm. <laughs> like we are. I did not get into this business to <laughs> run a theater, but here I am. It, who it knows is. what these direct have, directions we go. It is so important, the work that you're doing. I mean, I can remember my first um, independent film. I had a cousin that took me in Cambridge, and it took me across the world into Africa and learning about, you know, different cultures. And, like, you didn't see that in right. regular commercial film. And it really, once you get that bug, it's like, you know, I'll go to, I'll go see anything that's right. independent because you know you're going to be, you're not going to be spoon-fed the story. It's really, you know, sometimes it's challenging and it's about real life or it's about something otherworldly. And it's it, it really... Um, as a young person, changed the way I looked at the world, um, just like reading. And um, so I, I really believe in the work that you're doing. So thank you for, for keeping that alive. Well, thank you, and I cannot echo that enough. I, you know, I remember seeing um, Hidden Figures. Mm -hmm. This is about these women, these 
coder, computer programmers and at NASA. Who knew that women of color mm. were working as computer programmers? My father is Hawaiian, and um, I he came to the United to to Utah um, to go to college. The first person to attend college in his family. And he studied computer science and was one of those people, like in Hidden Figures. And I remember, and it was a very, for him, it was, he was very lonely. And, but, you know, Hidden Figures was only a few years ago. And, and I, it was the first time where I sort of got a, a sense of his experience as a, you know, working in that back room with those gigantic mainframes. And interestingly, at that time, that's where people of color were, you know, that's where they were, those were the only jobs that they were allowed to take. It wasn't like, oh, this is this great job, because no one knew what, what those big mainframe, what the computers were, and so those jobs went to minorities, and that was my dad. Wow. And so to watch Hidden Figures and think, wow, you know, all these years later, Someone is telling a story that can resonate with me mm-hmm. and also resonate with me as a young girl who is told, you know, you can't do math. And yet all my tests, I always tested um, the highest in science, math and science. And it wasn't until I was uh, getting my master's degree that I decided to take an algebra class. Somehow I got away with no math classes until then. Took an algebra class, you know, and found out, hey, I can do math. So, so <laughs> th- these films, these stories, these diverse stories, mm. um, film can t- tell us stories about ourselves. And ultimately, what it does, and I really believe this, and that is that it helps develop empathy mm-hmm. in all of us. And if there's something that we need in this world, it's empathy empathy for the other. Empathy, empathy for the diverse voice. I don't think we would be in the situation in this world um, that we're in uh, if if we had more people who more stories out there and more empathy. That's it, mm-hmm. and that's why this is important. This work in this little tiny town in Provincetown, you know, and the tip of Cape Cod. That's why it's important, mm. you know. Well People said. ask me, why are you there? <laughs> That's why. <laughs> Trying to build empathy. <laughs> well said. Um, I have one question for you, and it is, what do you recommend? What What's like your top three films? <laughs> <laughs> Who are your babies right now? <laughs> Who are my babies? Your right favorite now? babies. Well, you know what? Say um, a film, and you know maybe this is yeah. What should we see? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I I produced and wrote a film called Older Than America, and I think you can get on somewhere Amazon or well, um, the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis just invited us to screen the film again. It nice. stars Bradley Cooper and <gasps> Cantu Cardinal and Wes Studi and. Um, and it, it's a story set on a native Indian reservation, and it's really about the culture, a modern day story about the cultural genocide in native Indian schools that took place. And it had been 10 years since I saw the movie, and it, it resonates more now than mm. it did when we made the movie. So if you have a chance to see that movie, I really recommend it. I was so proud that I had 
been involved in that movie and that I was able to write and direct it or, or and produce it. Um, another movie that I really like, and I know it's controversial, I don't know why, and there's a really good article on Variety about it um, and why the controversy doesn't matter, but I loved um, Green Book. I really did. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a wonderful movie, um, and I love the fact that it's won so many audience awards. People like it. You know, there's some films out there that are nominated for Academy Awards that that are really cool to like. And if you're a film buff and you're a cinematographer, a film like The Favorite is, a, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you can watch it over and over again. The content is really cool. The acting is phenomenal. But for some people, it doesn't fully resonate. And so... Um, and I love that film, too. But uh, Green Book, I love that a lot of people are responding to it. And and uh, and then the performances are so wonderful. I mean, those are more hmm. new films. But I, I, I have a whole, I like a lot of movies. I'm a very sympathetic viewer. I know it's so hard <laughs> to make films. I'm influenced by the people. If I'm a filmmaker who's a wonderful human being, and their film isn't, you know, like Academy Award material, I will still like the film. So that's why we have good, it's good that we have four other programmers <laughs> <laughs> who can say, no, you can't show everything. Um, and that we, you know, so curating is a good thing as well. I love movies. <laughs> I just saw Edith uh, Wilkinson's the oh. documentary of. I and would recommend that. That's I would a recommend one, oh, that. Right. Yeah. That's a wonderful movie. And Michelle Boyner is mm -hmm. one of our women residents who came through our program. And actually, she was in Provincetown and um, she ended up um, shooting some of her film in Provincetown and interviewing mm -hmm. some of the people, you know folks in Provincetown for her upcoming film. But yeah, it's Ooh. a wonderful it's called, I don't well, the, the So the burden. Edith not a burden. It's not a burden. Mm. The Edith Wilkinson, it's not called that. It's called the Pact. Uh, uh, packed pa in a trunk. Packed in a trunk. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to make sure Edith that Wilkinson people know. Like story. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. Changing art history, the perception of art history. Oh, yeah. Well, talk about a, I know. There's no. a lot there are a lot of films that um could rewrite history. Mm -hmm. I feel like I took a break from movies for a little while because I have little kids, and it's I really loved going to the movies. And then you all of a sudden you have little kids, and it's like you know. And then you, we don't go to the cinema as much. Um, they're starting to get to the ages where they love to see movies, and I catch my daughter watching all kinds of different things. She has access to so many different mm -hmm. stories now, good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, I feel like I'm coming back to that medium mm -hmm. and I'm really enjoying it, especially the documentary space. I just love it. It's just so, learn yeah. so much. So, you know, so quickly. Well, I think, I mean, that's a whole nother topic and yeah. that is media engagement and, um, watching films with your children and um, helping them interpret the images and thinking about what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. That's so important. That's why we wanted to start our HBO Kids series because and, and our, the youngest kids are three years old. And they sit there for 10 minutes and then I yeah. get out my ukulele and play them songs <laughs> and then they go back. And, but um, uh, But media engagement and getting... 
um, children to actively screen the work and interrogate the messages that are being sent uh, are transmitted is really important and it's a great teaching opportunity for parents mm-hmm. and I always I encourage that and I think you know I wish we could do more of that I love um, I, I love being able to uh, in, talk to young kids about what they're seeing they're so smart mm-hmm. but they need to be told they need to be invited to talk about it and they need to be invited to be engaged mm-hmm. like this is a conversation you're having with this work mm-hmm. and um and it, it it's just kind of one of the funnest things as a parent and also i mean i'm not and i consider myself an educator when i am talking to kids about media but um but i encourage more of that for mm-hmm. i i i, I I, I wish we could. I would like to start a program on media engagement at the uh, Waters Edge. Sounds Cinema. like a collaboration. <laughs> it's a collaboration. Yay. With PTB. Yes. <laughs> Provincetown Film Society. Let's do it. Yes. I love so it. So I just want to remind everyone that the film festival, the Provincetown Film Festival, is coming up in June. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Women's Film Festival in October, mm-hmm. and you have the Jamaican Film Festival, which is when? May 17th through 19th. Okay. And then you have a Women's Media Conference, too. When does that happen? So we have a Women's Media Summit. We're actually doing a ret- retreat this year on March 23rd. Come mm-hmm. to Provincetown. We're trying to, you know, the this is our third year. The first year and second year, we wrote a white paper. A lot of other um, summits cropped up around the country, which is what we wanted to have happen. Um, and this year is about trying to chart the future direction of the media summit. And then I'm going to add on May 3rd through 5th, we are doing a film financing forum. So if you have a project, mm-hmm. you're interested in investing or getting your film financed, we invite people in the industry who can help you do that and it's really fun i love that where do you find the information um on our website at provincetownfilmsociety.org awesome great thanks for having me thanks for letting me talk about this that i love thanks so much for listening and thank you again to today's guest provincetown film society executive director film producer and arts and social justice activist Christine Canuva Walker for this episode of the Creative Exchange podcast. I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. And I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. Until next time, arts matter. Support for the Creative Exchange podcast is made possible by Delbrook JKS. The Creative Exchange podcast is all about celebrating the artistic process on Cape Cod and connecting creatives. That's right, Julie. And as part of that, we'd like to invite you to a Creative Exchange live event here at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. On May 30th, 2019 at 530, Amy and I are bringing back some of this season's guests for a live panel discussion. Come connect with other listeners, meet podcast guests, and celebrate the arts community. Mark your calendars and visit artsfoundation.org slash creative exchange for details and updates. See you there. See you there. Music for the Creative Exchange podcast is the work of Jordan Renzi. 
produced in association with Billingsgate Records by Jordan Renzi and Andrew Staker at Big Red Studios in Wellfleet. The Creative Exchange Podcast is brought to you by the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod, Provincetown Community Television, and the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. In the desert, to the oasis, this time I'm not Time. This time